everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Speaking of rally cap, Michigan needed their rally cap uh, yesterday. Um, Indiana put their rally cap on. Go, oh, oh, it's Hoosier fans. Uh-oh, uh-oh, Michigan, the Spartans needed a rally cap. They, they played Indiana, right? Am I Did I get that? Okay, okay, okay. All right, good, good, good. Um, it, yeah, so uh, we're talking about rally cap, and the idea of rally cap is, is a baseball superstition that uh, baseball players uh, would do. So hockey does it too, as a, as a matter of fact, but uh, it you know, came from baseball. As a matter of fact, it started 1945 with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, they sort of originated the, the rally cap, putting the cap inside out, uh, which is like, hey, it's not about the brand anymore. It's not about the old English D anymore. It's not about whatever our team logo is anymore. It's just about winning this game, and it's about coming back, and it's about a comeback. And the good news is, is that we have a God who's a God of a comeback. That's a good news, right? That we have a God that when we're down and out, when we're, when we're trailing, when we feel like we're losing in life, that we have a God that says, hey, I've got a comeback story that I want to share with you. Last week, I shared um, a comeback story uh, in, in baseball history, 1986, with the New York Mets. Uh, the New York Mets defeated the Boston Red Sox in the 1986 World Series by, um, and they would, they would say, is the, because of the rally cap, because of the superstition and, uh, that they did when they, and they came back from behind and ended up, you know, trailing in the series came back in game six, um, and then we also won that game. They played in game seven of the World Series. We're trailing in that game, put the rally caps on, and they ended up winning the World Series that year. So because of that, because of that, and you can imagine something miraculous happened. They, nobody can explain it. it. It was just what happened, what nobody can explain, it just happened. So they decided the next year, in 1987, that they're going to have rally cap day, that they're going to have rally cap day. So on, I think it was July 26, 1987, um, they came up with um, rally cap hat day. And apparently it was a huge successful promo for their, uh, for the New York Mets that year. They sold out weeks in advance for that game because people wanted to show up and get a a free uh, rally cap that looks just like this, okay? That's what they showed up for. And it looks, it this is the replica that I ordered, um, which is amazing. Don't you love the internet? You can find pretty much anything uh, on the internet. And so they showed up, uh, got this hat. It said New York Mets rally cap. And um, it came with one of these balls, okay? And so what they did was is that they sort of created and produced and manufactured these rally caps, and then it came with sort of like a set of rules. And so I want to just read just a few of you, a few of them to you. Um, it came with like 10 rules, 10 uh, things that you do uh, with the ball on the rally cap during that particular game. Uh, one of the things is when the Mets need a hit, uh, put the ball and place it in the, in the center of the brim. Okay, and so that's what the, all the fans in the stands would do if the, if the Mets needed a hit. Uh, if they, uh, they wanted to get a double play, put the ball uh, and place it on the right side of the cap with the cap turned to the left. And so they would place the ball on the right side of the cap with the cap turned to the left. Um, 
if, they, uh, if they're in extra innings, the rally cap is turned inside out with a ball attached to the brim. So they would, tur- they would actually take the rally cap and put the rally cap inside out. Um, instead of actually verbally saying, this is number 10 on their list, instead of actually saying, let's go Mets, um, they would say, put the rally cap backwards with the ball placed on top of the cap and so they would say put it on backwards put the and that was an indicator of let's go Mets okay which is kind of weird to me right instead of saying let's go Mets they just would put it on the back of their head and put the ball on top of their head you know (laughs) as if the team is supposed to go let's go Mets is that what we're supposed to do okay and so um there was 10 of these things 10 of these things so um on that day, on that day, um, uh, coincidentally or whatever, unfortunately, I should say, um, the Mets were, were leading in that game, going into the bottom of the ninth, and they gave up four runs in the ninth inning, and they lost that game. Now, that wasn't the biggest loss of that day. That was the second biggest loss of that day. The first loss of that day is that they hung their pennant, their 1986 pennant flag, World Series champions pennant flag that day, and they were going to wave the flag. According to the groundskeeper, they hung it at 8 a.m., and by 9 a.m., the pennant flag was stolen from the stadium. And they they, they were interviewed. They said, did you have a backup? They said, no, we didn't have a backup. So somebody stole their pennant flag of the 1986 World Series on the day that they had rally caps. And so as you can probably imagine, they now view rally caps as a curse. (laughs) Because not only did the other team rally against them on that day, their pennant flag that celebrated their 1986 World Series was stolen that day. So... Just some more fun facts in baseball history revolving the rally cap. Okay, all right, all right. Um, you're like, I came for the Bible stuff, not for the... But here. Okay, good, good, good. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Okay, so the point is, here's, I do have a kind of a point to it. The point is, is that when it comes to rally caps, it's personal. It's not, it's organic, as people say these days. It's, it's, it's supposed to be sort of like a natural thing. It's not supposed to be manufactured or produced, and it's not meant to come with rules. Like they, they had rules of where to place the ball at particular times in the game, right? And it, it, it became very sort of like, you know, sort of legalized in, in a sense, you know. They just, they put it to where it's becoming sort of just this manufactured thing, and that's not really what it was supposed to be it's supposed to be this this authentic organic personal real experience that just happens well this is also true when it comes to christianity you see when jesus came jesus came to offer to you not a manufactured religion that's not what christianity is christianity was not meant to be a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts Christianity was meant to be and designed to be in the way that the way that Jesus wanted it to be. He wanted it to be something that was real. He wanted it to be something that's authentic and he wants it to be something that's personal. That's personal. Isn't personal always better? 
Isn't personal always better? It, you know, it's just like, you know, I was talking to somebody this week about like cards, right? Isn't it so much better when you receive a card, a thank you card or a birthday card? And you, it's not just about like going to the store and grabbing a card and, and that's nice and that's, you know, sweet and that's, you know, gracious and that's, I, I love the, that. So don't, I'm not trying to discourage you from doing that. But isn't it better sometimes when you get something that's more personal, something that somebody spends some time on does listen this is exactly what christianity is all about it's jesus and having a relationship with jesus it's not about religion jesus did not come to start a religion jesus came so that he can have a personal relationship with you that's real and authentic and it was never meant to be manufactured similar to this matt metz rally cap hat right and so here's the way that we we're going to pick up we're going to pick up where we left off last week okay we're going to pick up where we left off last week we're going to go back to luke 23 and he was saying jesus remember this is the thief criminal on the cross one on the right one on the left one was you know cursing jesus and the other one was asking jesus jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom, and this is a great prayer for somebody that needs a comeback in their life. This is a great prayer when somebody feels like they're down and out. This is a great prayer when you feel like you're losing in life. Jesus, Father, Heavenly Father, remember me. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget me. Don't forget me. This is a personal thing, right? This is Jesus hanging on a cross. This is a criminal hanging on a cross. And it's not something that can be manufactured. It's something that just needs to be authentic and personal. And this guy made it personal with Jesus. And then here's what Jesus responds to that. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Again, you see it? It's personal. It's personal. Remember me. Remember me. I will remember you. I won't forget you because today, today you will be with me in paradise. Then, then in verse 46, and Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And having said this, he died. He died. And so then those that are maybe there on the cross that day are certainly thinking, well, it's over. And I don't know if, if this criminal died before Jesus died. We don't really know that. The, the scriptures doesn't really help us with that at all. But here's what we know. If, he's, if this guy's still hanging there and Jesus is taking his left, last breath and he dies, this criminal might be thinking, well, I guess I'm not going to paradise today. And so Jesus dies. And it's about 3 o'clock. And it's Passover at sundown. And because of that, you can't work on Passover at all. And so they quickly remove Jesus' body off of the cross. And they asked Joe of Arimathea, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who met Jesus earlier in his, in his life, go to Pilate and ask Pilate for permission to take the body of Jesus so that the body of Jesus wouldn't be taken to where most bodies were taken to after they were crucified on the cross, that they wouldn't be just placed in a landfill in skull. 
And so they get permission from Pilate to take Jesus' body, and they, they, they take Jesus' body to Joseph's tomb. Joseph was a rich man, and he purchased a tomb for himself. But instead of just keeping it for himself, he, he thought, I, I got to give it to this man who did incredible things, who said amazing things, who performed miracles and signs and wonders, and, and he made a difference and it made an impact in people's lives. He changed people's lives forever. And so Joseph of Arimathea gave Jesus his tomb and they prepare Jesus's body they put grave clothes on him and they lay him in this cave and they put the uh, cloth over his face and then as they finished up as quick as they possibly can why because the, the sun is starting to go down and they can't do that and so they remove they put the stone back into its place and Passover begins and women are just waiting for Passover to be over because they realize that men just prepared the body of their friend, Jesus, and they couldn't have done it right. And so they were just waiting to go back and fix the job that men did. But it says this, it says this in, in, in Matthew 27, now on the, the next day, that is the day which is after the preparation the preparation of, of the body, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate, which is the, these group of people never gathered together. You never saw the chief priests and the Pharisees getting together with Pilate. That never happened. Only Jesus was able to bring that meeting together. And then it says this, and they said, sir, we remember that when that deceiver was still alive, he said, after three days, I am rising. So they are going, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. He was saying while he was with us that he, after three days, he's going to rise. Then it says this, verse 64. Therefore, give orders for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him and say to the people, he has risen from the dead and the last deception will be worse than the first. Now, what is the first deception that they're talking about? The first deception is, is were his claims, were his claims. His claims were that he is the light of the world. His claims were that he was the resurrection and the life. His claims were that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father unless it's through him. His, his claims, what they called his first deception was where they said listen his last deception will be worse than his first worse than his claims what were they saying they were saying if they can convince people that he resurrected if they can convince people that he conquered death that la that deception will be even worse than the claims that he made about himself are you with me and so they give orders, and they secure that. They secure it. And here's what they do. Verse 65. Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Now, it's not, that doesn't mean a guard or one guard. Here's what that means. That they get four Roman soldiers, four Roman professional soldiers that rotate every three hours 
for three days. That's what he was given to them. He gave, he gave them four Roman soldier guards to guard the tomb where Jesus was laid for a three-day period. And every three or four hours, those four Roman soldiers were turned, uh, changed out. Not only did that happen, but not only did they have guards that were guarding the tomb, but that what they would do is that they would then move the tomb and they would put a seal around the tomb so that there was just, there was no air, no space around it. So they would seal up the tomb and then they would put their Roman signet on the tombstone to say that this is property of the Roman Empire. And if you touch it, if you mess with it, you're going to be executed just like this guy was executed. And that's what it says. It says in verse 66, and they went and they made the tomb secure with the guard, sealing the stone, sealing the stone. And this is what was put in place. Why? Because they didn't want the disciples as if they were, we'll get to this in a second, as if they were going to come and stand against Roman Guards. I mean, it would be like me trying to stand up against four ninjas. I'm in trouble. Like these guys were professional killers. These, these guys, you didn't mess with these guys. They were, they were as tough as they come. And then they're like, listen, just to be sure, just to be sure that they don't try to do anything funny, we're going to put guards in place. We're going to put a seal around that stone. And by the way, that stone was no light thing. That stone was a two-ton stone that was on a track, and it needed to be on a track because it was too heavy to roll itself. This was secure. This was secure. Meanwhile, down in paradise... Now, what I'm about to show you today is going to be unbelievable to the point where you're going to go, I don't know if I believe it. I don't know if I believe it. Meanwhile, Jesus, if I, I believe this, and the reason why I believe this is because of what, I, is what I'm going to share with you after we talk about this, okay? So I'm getting ahead of myself, but just hang on. Because this is, this, you're going to go, this is crazy, this is crazy, okay? Meanwhile, down in paradise, this is, a, this is Jesus making his claim to that criminal, saying to him, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. What was he talking about? Now, while all of that was going on on earth, down in earth, this is what was going on, okay? Now, what is paradise? What is paradise? Paradise, they call, in the Old Testament, they call it Sheol, Sheol, okay? That's what they call it in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew name for it. Uh, in the New Testament, it was referred to as Hades, Hades. You maybe heard these terms before, Sheol and Hades. And so it was two sides, two sides separated by a gulf, okay? Two sides separated by a gulf. On one side, whether you're Hebrew-speaking or Greek-speaking, okay, on one side was a, what they called Abraham's side, or, or what Jesus referred to it as paradise, as paradise. And then on the other side, the separated by a gulf, okay, on the other side was a place of, of torment, of torture, of a place of judgment, okay? All right? Now, here, where do we get this from? Where do we get this from? Let me share a couple verses. 
Hosea said this, shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? Death, where are your thorns? Sheol, where is your sting? Does this sound familiar to anybody? If you know 1 Corinthians 15, Okay, we'll get there in a second. We'll get there in a second. Okay, so here's a reference. This is a, uh, an Old Testament prophet, okay? Matthew, Matthew, New Testament, Greek. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it, okay? So you see these, these two terms used, one Old Testament, one New Testament. Here's what Jesus says about it in Matthew 12. For just as Jonah, this is Jesus talking, for just as Jonah was in the stomach of the sea monster for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the, look what it says, in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Then Paul writes, here's what Paul writes in Ephesians 4. He says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive to the captives, and he gave gifts to people. And at this point, people are scratching their head going, huh? What? What are you talking about, Paul? So Paul then says, I, let me explain. Let me explain. Then he says this. Now this expression. Why? Because they were confused. Now this expression. He ascended he ascended. What does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? Then he says this. He who descended is himself also. He who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Say, so what is he talking about? Here's what happened. Jesus died on that cross. He descended down into the heart of the earth. He says, just like Jonah was swallowed up by a sea monster or the whale, right? You know the story. And he went down to the heart of the earth, and he went to the paradise side where all of our Old Testament heroes of faith were. He went there and he showed up probably with Mr. Criminal. And he, and he walks into paradise. This is just, I'm just a conjecture right now. We don't have exactly how it all went down. Walks into paradise with, with Mr. Criminal. And he addresses Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Noah, Rahab. Um, you know, Sarah, you name it. I mean, all the, all the Old Testament people of faith who put their faith who, in, in, in Jesus and, and put their faith in one that was to come, that was going to remove the, the sins of the world and eventually establish a, a kingdom, you know, and, and that's what they did. They put their, and Jesus is showing up in the paradise side and he says to them, hey, we're out of here. We're out of here. And Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and Rahab, and Sarah, and Rachel, and, and Leah, and you name them, all of them. They all go, Esther, and they all go, where are we going? And we're going, he's going, we're going to a better place. Yeah. 
We're going to a place that the Father has prepared for you, and it's called heaven. And they're probably thinking, this place is pretty awesome too. And Jesus is going, I know it is. I made it for you, but we're going to a better place. And he, with all of them, he ascended out of paradise. And he took them to where the heavenly father is. You say, why did that happen? Why didn't they just go to the heavenly father? Here's why. Because Jesus claimed, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one goes to the father unless it's through me. Jesus had to die. Jesus had to go down to Hades. Jesus had to lead the captives out of a place called paradise and ascend into heaven with the Father. Why? Because he had to be the forerunner for all of us. The good news, I don't know, the the good news is when you die, you don't even have to go down to the heart of the earth. You now already have a path cut for you into the presence of our heavenly father yeah here's what he says revelation when i saw him just as john seeing jesus when i saw him i fell at his feet like a dead man and he placed his right hand on me saying do not be afraid i am the first and the last and then he says this And the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. (laughs) Jesus went, descended after he died, and he took the keys out of the hands of the enemy. He says, these are mine. These are mine. And you no longer have power over death, hell, and the grave. I do. I've got the keys. That's what he did. That's what he did. Now, I don't expect you to believe that. If you don't if you can't believe that he resurrected from the dead. I don't expect you to believe. I, I expect you to think, and, I, and again, I don't, this is not a conversation that I oftentimes have with people that aren't Jesus followers. Let me just tell you. You know what happened to Jesus after he died? He went down to a place called paradise, and he took the keys of, of Hades, and he led the captives out, and he took them to heaven, and they're going, mm, you're a nut job. I don't believe I don't believe that if I didn't if if it wasn't for the fact that there is reasonable logical and the and to me the only explanation for a resurrected Jesus because if 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 Jesus can claim that he's going to die and he did lay himself down on a roman cross as he did be buried go down to the heart of the earth, and then at the time when his father called him up out of the grave, he comes out of the grave as a, as a 
reference and a point of that death has now been defeated and he is alive and well and he is alive and well in our hearts. And so Paul wanted everybody to know that you can fact check this resurrected Jesus. And so for the next few minutes, which by the way, this is the greatest comeback of all time. The greatest comeback of all time. And here's what Paul says. He says, I, listen, because this comeback happened, because this resurrected resurrection happened, you have the power to have a resurrection in your life. He says, listen, listen. Paul said, listen, I want you to know that the same power in Ephesians 1, that the same power that resurrected Jesus out of the grave and, and brought him out of Hades, he says that same power is in you who put their faith in Jesus. That just as Jesus could make a, and have a comeback story, you, because of the power of God in your life, you can have a comeback story. No matter how far you're behind, no matter how far you're gone, no matter what your losses are, you can make a comeback because Jesus resurrected. Because Jesus resurrected. So here's Paul saying, here's why you should believe in a resurrected Jesus. And if he did die, and if he was buried, and if he did rise, you should follow him. You should follow him. So here's what Paul says. For I handed down to you as of first importance, he, Paul says there's nothing more important than this in your life. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Verse 4. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, Paul is saying, listen, listen, you know, and he's talking to a group of Jews. And he's saying, you know your, your scripture? You know your, your Hebrew scripture? In your Hebrew scripture, there are over 300 prophecies that line up perfectly. This is so important to hear this. There are 300 plus prophecies. Some say 500 plus, but conservatively 300 perfectly line up and match exactly what Jesus did. That Jesus fulfilled 300 plus prophecies that were written about a coming Messiah in their own literature in their own bible in the hebrew bible and so they wrote they they said listen this is what you're to look for things like this things like this um that he would be born of a virgin they as a matter of fact they would say that he was even there he was even going to be a, born in a in a little town called bethlehem that he was going to be from the tribe of judah that he was going to be part of the, the lineage of david that he was going to be bruised for our iniquities. That he was going to be wounded for our transgressions. That he was going to be pierced. Now, they, now, this is a big one. This is a big one. You know why? Because oftentimes in that time, people that claimed to be God or claimed to be Christ, they were stoned to death. 
They were stoned to death. And so when they read in their own literature that he was going to be pierced, they thought, how is that going to work? How is that going to work? Until they saw him laying on a cross and the nails were pierced in his hands and in his feet and a spear was pierced in his side. They thought, that's it. That's what Isaiah was talking about a hundred years before Jesus was ever on planet Earth. Yeah, that's worth clapping about. So Paul's going, listen, this is not something that we made up. This is not that he died, he was buried, and he rose on the third day. This was written about long before. According to the scriptures, Jesus matched, Jesus matched exactly, exactly what was prophesied about him hundreds, even thousands of years prior to, prior to. And so the comeback is this, the comeback, because the Old Testament, as you probably read in your Old Testament, the Old Testament to God's people, the Jewish people, just written for one nation. The the Old Testament was written to one nation, the nation of Israel. That's it. And in the nation of Israel, it was, said, it was said, listen, you have to earn your way into good standing with God. You have to work into good standing with God. And you know what they discovered? You know what they discovered? They can't. They can't. You can't earn your way into right standing with God. You can't work your way into right standing with God. So the good news is, and the comeback of what Jesus did, because of a resurrection. There's not only an Old Testament, but there's a New Testament. And the good news is for all of us is this, that you don't have to work your way into right standing. What Jesus did on the cross is that he worked already for you. And all you and I have to do is put our faith and our trust in a risen Jesus, and you get grace. Yeah. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to follow a bunch of Ten Commandments. You don't have to try to figure out what side of the hat the ball goes on. How do I make God happy? Well, God, will you be happy if I put it on the top? God, will you be happy if I put it on the right? God, will you be happy? God, will you be happy if I tilt it? And God's going, listen, that work was already done. That work was already done. Jesus did it for you. And you get grace. You get grace. This this week, this week, a lady walked in, or excuse me, no, no, no. Her son walked in. I knew her, I knew her son. He was a kid in our youth group. Uh, He over uh, since moved into the Jackson area. He comes into the building. He, he walks into my office because he, he knows he can anytime. He says, Pastor Chris, I'm so glad you're here. He says, my mom is with me. Can, you, can I have her come in? And I said, yeah, absolutely. She's a, he says, she's, you know, she's really struggling. She's, she's got this bad you know, diagnosis from the doctor, and, and she's just you know, going through a lot of hurts and pains and struggles. I said, yeah, absolutely. So she comes in, and we sit down together, and I just pray with her. And then I tell her, I said, hey, 
Did you, have you ever put your faith in Jesus because this is the best place to start? Could you ever put your faith in Jesus? She says, no, I've never put my faith in Jesus. I said, can I, can I tell you who Jesus is? And so I tell her about Jesus and I tell her about his kindness and his compassion and his grace and his forgiveness. And I tell her all these things. And she says, I want that in my life. And right there in the office, I lead her to Jesus. And she comes and she puts her faith in Jesus. And I said, I'm gonna put you, I'm gonna find you a church in the Jackson area. So I'm like, if anybody knows a good church in the Jackson area, please let me know because she needs to be in a church. What, what, what is that? That's because she didn't have to earn it. I didn't give her a bunch of lists of things to do. Here, here's a booklet. Here's a packet. Good luck. Here's a Bible. Figure it out. No, I just showed her Jesus. And I said, here's grace. It's grace that's extended to you. You know what happened that day? Paradise showed up. Paradise showed up in this dump. I love this building, but you get what I mean. It's an old building. Paradise showed up in this dump. And she received Jesus. And that's because the greatest comeback of all time was because of the resurrection of Jesus. We no longer have to follow a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts and try to figure out how do we get into right standing with God. Even though that Old Testament scripture is inspired by God and given to us for good and, and, and a good purpose and, and it's helpful for us in our everyday life, all that Old Testament was meant to do was show and point to a risen Jesus. And over 300 plus prophecies point exactly to Jesus. And Jesus says, you don't have to work for it. I've got grace. I've got grace, and it's a gift to you. If that was it, if that was it, that should be good enough for us. But Paul's not done. Paul's not done. Paul says, let me give you another comeback story in why you should believe in a resurrected Jesus. And that he appeared to Cephas. Now, who is Cephas? Okay. Cephas is, a, is the Aramaic name for Peter. Okay, You know Peter, one of the disciples, right? So Peter, you know the story, before Jesus was crucified, before Jesus was arrested, put on, a, put on trial, you know, led to the cross, uh, hung on, on the cross, died, J Peter was sort of following Jesus around, and he was caught by a, what, a, a young girl, probably like middle school age, right, 13, 14-year-old girl, and she goes, hey, aren't you with him and Peter's like no no I'm not with him and then again are you no no are you with him no not me a third time are you with him blankety blank no I don't know him and Jesus predicted that Jesus said you're gonna deny me and then he heard the rooster crow and that's exactly what Jesus said would happen and then, Jesus resurrected. But in the meantime, while Jesus is resurrected, Peter said, I'm going back to my old job. And I'm going back fishing. And, G and Peter was out fishing with some of the other disciples. And somebody yells out from the shore, hey, hey, once again, you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. And one of the disciples says, 
I think that's Jesus. And before they could get that, I think that's Jesus out of his mouth. Peter runs and he jumps into the water and he swims up to the shore. And he was naked. That's what the Bible says. You should read it. That's what it says. At some point, they probably put clothes on him. <laughs> Doesn't say. But they probably did. And Jesus, in his grace, says, hey, Peter, let's go have breakfast. Me? But the last time we saw each other, I denied you three times. Jesus is making Peter breakfast on the beach. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. Second time, hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. And you know what Peter did? He started feeding sheep. He started feeding sheep. He started to tell everybody he knew. And it didn't matter what the consequences were. It didn't matter what would happen to Peter. He saw a resurrected Jesus. And he went from denier Simon to dedicated Cephas. Yeah. What a comeback. What a comeback. And Paul's not done. And I'm not done either. <laughs> then to the 12. Then to the 12. You know what happened to them after Jesus was arrested and put up on the cross? You know what they did? They looked like cowards. No one other than John, I will exclude John, Anyone, no one other than John was with Jesus at the cross. They ran. You know why they ran? They think, if they do that to him, they're going to do that to us. We're out of here. And they ran like cowards until they were gathered around in a little house and Jesus walked through a wall in the house and said, peace. It's in the Bible. You should read it. And they're startled. Oh, it's a ghost. And then they realize it's not a ghost. It's a resurrected Jesus. Well, but Thomas wasn't there. And they go and tell Thomas, hey, Thomas, you, you, you wouldn't guess who we saw. We saw him. We saw him. He died. He was buried. And then he's now resurrected. And we have seen him. And Thomas is going, no, nope, not this time. I'm not going to be fooled anymore. No thanks. Nuh-uh. And then Thomas was with him. Jesus comes through another wall. Peace. It's in the Bible. And he says, hey, Thomas, I heard that you're doubting. Poor Thomas. And Jesus, here, look at my holes in my hands. You want to touch it? 
I'm sure Thomas did. Only Jesus. And here's what I said about these guys. Don't be offended. The buffoonish 12 (laughs) became the bold 11. Sorry, Jesus. These guys acted buffoonish. And you know what's interesting? That we have the scriptures and we have their stories. And none of them, as they record what actually happened, this is so important, none of them, as they record what actually happened, cared at all what they looked like because they wanted to make sure that the recording and the story and the life of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus was as accurate as it possibly could be. Even if it made them look like wimps, even if it made them look like cowards, even if it made them look like buffoons, they didn't care. They wanted the world to see that there's a resurrected Jesus. And they went from cowards to courageous. And they all, other than John, they all died. Not because of what they believed. People do that all the time. They died because of what they saw. And they couldn't deny it. They saw him die. They heard him be buried because they weren't around. But they saw him resurrected. And almost overnight, almost overnight, they went from cowards to courageous. How does that happen? It only happens when you see a risen Savior. Can I give you a couple more? Okay. All right. All right. That wasn't reassuring, but okay. All right. I'll give you one more. I'll give you one more. And after he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time. And Paul says, most of whom remain. In other words, when Paul was writing this, which was proof that there's early writings of the scriptures, there's early, as a matter of fact, um, there's evidence, strong evidence, skeptics can't even deny it, that 1 Corinthians, especially chapter 15, was written just within 20 years of the claims of a resurrection, which is unheard of. No other manuscripts that claim any other deity or faith or religion or even any existence of any kind of emperor or civilization can can come up with that, that kind of evidence. It's unheard of. And here Paul is saying, listen, some are alive still. And if you don't believe, if you don't believe that he resurrected, you can go and you can interview people that saw him. As a matter of fact, at one time, there were 500 people at one time who saw him alive. And you can go and ask them yourself. Then he says, but some have fallen asleep. In other words, it's a New Testament way of saying some have died. 
Because for a Christian, death is just temporary. It's like you, last night, you fell asleep. It was just temporary. You're now awake. Maybe you've fallen asleep now in church, but I'm hoping to wake you up again. But this is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you can go and ask. Now, here's the interesting thing. Talk about comeback. Out of these 500 people, they were the ones, while Jesus was on trial, said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They were the ones going, give us Barabbas. Barabbas was a a murderer. And they were wanting to release Barabbas in exchange for executing Jesus. Out of these 500 people, these were the ones that were saying, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas, put him on that cross. He deserves to be executed out of these. And then Jesus shows up to them. Awkward, right? I didn't really mean it like you know I was like just kind of going with the crowd and it seemed like what everybody else was doing you know and if I didn't join in if I didn't say it then that you know then they would you know maybe do something to me and Jesus shows up to them and you know what Jesus says all right all right here's what I want you to do all authority Jesus said all authority was given to me in heaven and on earth. You see me? Good. I want you to go and make disciples. And you have the authority because of my authority. I want you to go make disciples and I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you're not going to be alone. You're never going to be alone. Why? Because I'm risen and alive and you will never be alone again. And I will be with you until the end of the age. You see, the hundreds of people were responsible for his death to the hundreds renewed by his life. Jesus is going, hey, I got grace. I've got grace. You, I already forgave you on the cross. I was hanging on the cross and I said to my father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I already forgave you on that cross. I just want you 500 to know that, listen, even though you were responsible for my death, you're given forgiveness and grace and I just want to renew you by my life. So go and tell the world that I'm alive and I will be with you forever. Now that's just a few. That's just a few. And I think that's enough for us to go what Jesus did and who Jesus claimed to be And what Jesus is about, if that happened, there must be something to the greatest comeback of all time. He died, he was buried, 
but he rose again. He came back to life so that you and me can have the power and authority in the name of Jesus to share with the world the greatest comeback of all time. So go and make disciples. Let's pray. Father, one evidence after another Your scriptures that spoke about you hundreds, thousands of years that you fulfilled. The, the changed life of Peter, who went from a denier to dedicator, the disciples the same, they went from cowards to courageous, to hundreds of people who saw you all at one time, who were responsible for putting you on that cross, but you willfully laid yourself down anyway so that you can appear to those same hundreds of people and make and, and encourage them and empower them and give them the authority because you have all the authority to go and make disciples. And so, Father, I pray that that's where we are, that we make a comeback when it comes to not only our life and our faith, but that we make a comeback when it comes to being bold and courageous and, and just being willing to be able to share your kindness and grace and your love that is extended to every single person. That wherever we go, you're with us. Whatever we do, you're with us. That you want to bring paradise into every situation. That you want to take our garbage dump, stinky situation and bring it to life again. Because you resurrected. That's why we can do it. That's what empowers us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.